The process for obtaining special education services for your child can seem complicated and confusing. In fact, at times it can feel like navigating a complex maze. And if you have ever felt overwhelmed by this process and wondered how best to get your child what they need, today's podcast will answer that and more. Hi, I'm Steve Watson, the Maricopa County School Superintendent, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Extra Credit, a podcast of the Maricopa County School Superintendent's Office. So, Lori. Hi, Steve. How are you? I'm, I'm great. Hey, it's great to be here. Well, it's good to have you here, here in the podcast studio. Yeah, it's glorious. It is. It is actually pretty cool. <laughs> we, people should check out photos of it online. They absolutely should. On our Twitter account, on our Facebook account. So I have been on a little bit of a social media fast, um, and I'm starting to get back in. So I actually put Twitter and Instagram back on my phone. I'm, I'm holding off just a little bit to get Facebook back on because that seems to be one that occupies a lot of my time when I'm scrolling through the Facebook news feed. That is a fair thing to do. Yeah, you have to be very cautious how you curate that feed. Absolutely. I have actually, I think, gotten down to the point of right now on Facebook, I only see my mother's posts and advertisements. <laughs> so I, I, don't think, I don't think that's unhealthy. It, I think it's fine. I just want to know what mom's up to, yep. and, uh, and I need to know what shoes to buy. You know, and I kind of miss the days when people posted pictures of their dinner. Oh, you know, that was just, it was new, not posting pictures of your dinner. I mean, everybody did that, but it was just still just, just pictures of your pets and your dogs and what you're doing this evening and a yeah. little vacation you went on and uh, hard to get upset and angry over that. Yeah, right? yeah. Maybe a little jealous that somebody's in a nicer place than you. Absolutely. But oh. you can't get too jealous because you have to recognize that people were only posting their best moments on social media. Exactly. So, Lori, today we're talking a little bit about special education, right? Yeah, and yeah. And many times when we sit in these seats and we, we converse back and forth, we have personal experiences, right? Because you have a tassel of kids. Yes, I have I do. a tassel of kids. Yeah. And a tassel? How many is a tassel? Is it like a parcel or a passel or a... More than five, less than 32. Okay. Yep. That, that's, a, that's what I have. That, less like, than 32. More exactly than five. right. And so, you know, we run the gamut, right? I have, I have kids, you know, I frequently, when I talk about education funding, and I use my own children as an example, I talk about how my family and my children, they are kind of a perfect example of, of education funding in Arizona, because my first three children are very, very cheap to educate. Um, they go in, they sit down, and it doesn't matter who the teacher is, they come out doing their homework. Um, they're going to learn. They have this thirst for knowledge. And even though I said my first three, actually my third one, he becomes a little bit more expensive because he has some speech issues. Mm. And all of a sudden, he has a person at school who we, we pay to be there, and I think that's a good thing, who then works with him on speech. And all of a sudden, he costs a little bit more. And then my fourth child who's diagnosed dyslexic, has many more, you know, just special education requirements. 
Um, and these requirements just become a little bit more expensive for some of the services that he needs. He needs a kind of a reading intervention specialist. Um, we have some, some other specialists on camp, campus who, who work with him and his reading. And he had a little stutter and a speech, some speech issues um, for a little while that he's been able to overcome. And he's got some um, things that he does to help, you know, overcome that. And all of a sudden he becomes a little bit more expensive than the third child. And who they are both a little bit more expensive than the than the first two children. And I think it's just, and these are all great kids. They're all very intelligent in their, their own way. Um, you know, my, my son who's diagnosed dyslexic, he is just a sponge when it comes to documentaries. Um, he, what a... What a great opportunity that we didn't have when we were younger to have just so much educational content on YouTube yeah, that yeah. he absorbs and he talks about science and he talks about all these things. He just really struggles um, to read with, with his... The, with print. With print. Yeah. Exactly right. And so I think it's just really healthy to for people to understand, you know, while all of our children have value and all are capable... Just it requires different resources in a school to be able to provide all the supports that they need to to help them in their unique and individual way. So as a parent, like, how did you know when it was time or, you know, that maybe your son who ended up becoming diagnosed dyslexic needed intervention? Was it was it you? Was it the teacher? What was that process like? That's a really great question. It was, was mainly, it was more my wife and I. Um, and one of the reasons why we did notice it as early as we did is because we had our, our baseline with our older. Right, you had other kids. Our older kids. And, and we knew how easily they came to um, acquire reading skills. They love to read. And we, with our, our dyslexic son, we just thought, hey, we're just going to read more to him. Mm-hmm. And... Um, we, we set a goal. We, we go to California for a family reunion on a regular basis, and we said, hey, this year, we've never been to Legoland, but if you read 300 books, and these aren't like sure, you know sure. novels. This isn't right. Harry Potter. These are, are age-appropriate. age-appropriate books. For, Whatever that means. For, for, a, for a first grader, um, if you read these 300 books with members of the family that we're going to be reading to you and with you, we'll go to, to Legoland as a family. And... Even after reading those 300 books, he had them memorized. He could tell us the words. He could read them back to us because he had heard them so many times, but he couldn't actually identify very well the words on the pages. And that is when we got involved. We began to to talk to the teacher at school who said, you know, I I just really haven't seen this before, which was a red flag, frankly. Um, because we know how pervasive dyslexia That's is. Absolutely right. Um, yeah. And so, you know, when you have a teacher of twenty plus years experience, say I've never seen this before in a child, um, I became a little concerned about his experience at school, and we became much, much more involved. Um, and you know, my wife, she is wonderful. And whenever she experiences a new situation that's going to affect her life, she goes and buys 20 books or goes to the library and checks out 20 books or 10 books. Or In this situation, it's, it's been ongoing. It's been a limitless number of books and podcasts that she's been reading and we've been listening to as we work to provide some familial supports um, for our son and best know how to advocate for him in a school setting. Yeah. I mean, and I think that can be, that's a, 
that can be a tough thing for a parent, especially if you, if it's your first child and you are wondering, is my child developing typically? Is my child on track? Um, and, you know, we love teachers. You and I, Steve, we love teachers. But 100%. we also know there is a, a spectrum of experience and skill. And if you are relying just on a teacher to be able to identify if there's a an issue, that could be kind of hit or miss. And in your case, you were fortunate that um, you as an educator and your wife as a constant sponge of information um, wasn't going to let that go as well as you had a baseline, like you said. So um, that can be tricky for parents. And so I thought um, we'd bring on a great guest today who can help us kind of navigate that. Um, Jasmine Sanders is a special education consultant with Exceptional Student Services of Arizona. And she is here to talk about how to navigate that special education maze for parents. And welcome, Jasmine. Thank you. <laughs> Happy to be here. Jasmine, it's great to have you. Um, we, we have shared a school at, at one point, and it's a terrific school where, where our kids have, have been. And uh, I, I think the fact that we both chose that school, um, knowing those teachers and, and that staff there speaks volumes to the work that they're doing. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but it's great to have you. Can you just share with us, just talk a, about a few things that parents need to know about the special education process, right? Um, you know, I mentioned just a little bit about how uh, I had a baseline and, you know, we were looking at my child and he was just learning differently than maybe some other kids. I'm an educator. I know what an IEP is. I know what a 504 is. I know to, how to at least advocate on um, from from one position for a student, there are a lot of people who are entering this process for the first time, or they're just trying to figure out if their kid has a, a learning disability of some sort, and they're trying to figure this out on the fly. I guess, what are some tips, what are some experiences that you've had from your perspective um, as a, a special ed professional? Absolutely. So one of the th things that I wanted to make sure parents understood is that at the beginning of this process is <clears throat> you're given a big old packet, and I'm sure you've experienced this, I mean, with both um, in special education and even when you get enrolled in a school, you get a big packet sent home, and you somewhat try to figure it out on your own. Um, with special education, when they give you those packets, it's what is called your procedural safeguards, and they're basically um, mentioning the laws that you have as a parent because there are laws to protect students as well as um, I know that you mentioned how it gets more expensive the more needs it has um, or those students have but that is um, what we call um, FAPE as part of special education so I want to make sure parents know that although it does cost the schools a little bit more to support students as a parent that is a hundred percent something that is provided to them at cost correct and FAPE yeah. is a as a term that we use a lot in education I love what it means it, mm -hmm. it's Free and appropriate education. Right. Yep. So that's just what every yep. child should be able to expect here in the United States of America. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so it's definitely something, a, a good starting point is to for parents to understand that it is not going to cost them anything for their child to get those additional 
resources and supports. Um, another thing that I had mentioned every time that I speak to parents or when we go through the process of an IEP or to go over an evaluation, they give a lot of power to the professionals that are there, which I think, which I think is not necessarily um, the best practice when we talk about a team. Because when we talk about an IEP team or a multidisciplinary evaluation team, the parents hold a lot of weight behind that. And a lot of the information that we hear are from the professionals, but we also rely on the parent to give us their side and their input and their observations so that we can make a determination as to how we can support students in, in school. So I, I, I want to empower parents to know that they have a lot of power behind that as well, as well as the educational team and the psychologist, the speech pathologist. I hear a lot of times that the, the parents will say, um, Things like, oh, I trust your judgment, whatever you think is best for my, my child, because you've done the formal evaluations. We do not have a magic bag. We do not have a magic hat or a wand that's going to say exactly what it is, what the support systems um, that we can put in place. The parent definitely has a lot of say behind eligibility, behind services, behind the time, behind the place. There are so many pieces to an evaluation as well as an IEP that, um, that, that we rely on the parent to be a part of that team and that conversation along with the education team. You know, I think that's really great advice uh, because I, I've been in those meetings as a parent and as a teacher. And the first time I was in one of those meetings as a parent, it was very intimidating, yeah, um, even, though I, uh, even though I knew the other side. Right. And we don't, um, sometimes we don't feel empowered as a parent, but we're with our kids Um hopefully more than anybody else and we see some of their challenges and i guess what can i guess how do how does a parent know what questions to ask or know what to advocate for when they do feel like they're not in a position of power well i definitely think that they should they should during the meeting that if they are not understanding something that they speak up and let us know um i as in in the iep meetings and going through the evaluation, it's very easy for me to hear them use acronyms like an IEP, 504 plant. A lot of times this is the first time a parent is hearing those things. And an IEP is an individual <laughs> education plan for a student. Yes, individuals. Or they say, let's hold a MET1 meeting. What is a MET1 meeting? So it is the multidisciplinary evaluation team. So that's what the MET stands for. Um, and just making sure that the parents ask all the questions. That is our job as evaluators, as teachers, as educators, um, to be able to explain what those things are. And if the if sometimes we want to go through it really fast, and parents have things going on, but it is such a it's a it's a legal it's a legal documentation that says we have an obligation as an educational institution to support your student, and this is how we're going to do it. So I definitely want to encourage parents to before they walk into the IEP meeting to try to do their research, just like you said, you know, there are um, lots of YouTube uh, videos out there, lots of resources on the internet that parents can start looking at what questions I can ask. And then during the meeting, that doesn't mean you're going to come in knowing exactly what an IEP is. It is definitely very individualized, just like it is in the individualized education um, 
plan is what it stands for. Um, so to be able to ask those questions and to also have an open line of communication with your team. Communication is such a big deal. Whenever I attend those special education conferences or um, this last uh, week I attended one that had attorneys just going over what they call the trapdoors of special education, things that you know, can easily make things fall out of compliance and how to catch them beforehand. The big thing they always mention is communication. So making sure that that's happening with all your team members. That's not just your teacher. That's your special education teacher, speech pathologist, an occupational therapist. There are a variety of professionals that can support a student through an IEP. So that that's great. What... Do you have advice for parents who, who might, uh, let me ask it this way. Can a parent go to a teacher and say, hey, I'm not sure that my kid is learning at the same rate or the same way other kids are. Can I have my kid evaluated? Absolutely. So, um, yes, a parent has all the right and the power to ask for an, an evaluation, as well as a teacher, as well as a pediatrician. I know that it's it's funny to say that, but I do have a lot of instances in this school year where the parents express concern to the doctor, and the doctor will write a prescription sure. saying... Oh, a prescription. Yeah, it's an actual prescription that says, write an IEP or a 504. Okay. That's very evident that doctors aren't aware how that process sure. works because just because a pediatrician says we need an IEP, that doesn't mean we go into the direction of we're going to develop a plan. Um, there is a process that jogs that IEP, which is called the evaluation. Um, and to answer your question, so when a parent has that um, request to make it, to have an IEP or to have an evaluation or to look further into their child's education um, with a formal evaluation, we as a special education team have 15 days to respond. Um, 15 days to respond means that we have to hold a meeting to say, hey, let's look at this a little bit deeper and let's talk about your concerns. So we'll meet there with the team, which would um, make the, the parent, the general education teacher, and the special education teacher. Just because you hold that met one meeting does not necessarily mean we're going to run into the evaluation because for all we know, the teacher might say, hey, I know you might not have seen a lot of growth at home, but this is what we've seen here at school. We've seen Johnny raise 20 points since the beginning of the school year and we're seeing steady progress. So let's hold off and maybe just do a little bit extra intervention to see if we're going to proceed, um, if we see this, this trend of growth. If we see that there is a plateau or we're seeing a decline in skill or we're just not seeing growth at all, then the team can make that decision. But a parent doesn't necessarily have um, all of that weight. It is a team decision. So one thing I want parents to be aware of is that when you are walking into those IEP meetings, the 504 meetings, an evaluation team meeting, um, to have that um, at the forefront of your mind. I think a lot of times parents might have a negative response or a negative experience with special education. So they come ready for war. We have advocates. And just know that your teacher and your team there is a part of that. And if we keep the student at the forefront of that conversation, then there is no... There right. is no and I would, I would imagine that the best way to request that would be in writing. Absolutely. And probably if you're requesting it to the teacher, you might want to copy the principal. 
Absolutely. Just, just to, because I know for a fact that if a principal sees that formal request, yes. that all of the flags are raised because the principal knows who is responsible if that if they're not responded to in 15 days. So Right, and to date it. So make you sure go. you date and sign and say, I have requested this because even when um, schools are obligated to let their gen ed teachers know there's a timeline to those things. So we want to make sure that that is something that parents are Great. aware of. Jasmine, you've been great. Um, you know, I know that there just are a lot of parents and teachers out there who are just trying to understand just the, their their responsibilities, not just legally but morally, to Absolutely. do right to do right by kids. And you've just been able to sit down with us and and give some good advice. And hopefully, this translates into uh, a parent or a teacher having a more constructive and, and supportive IEP meeting sure. uh, moving forward. Uh, thank you for being here. Of course, no problem. Thanks for having me. Lori, I want to thank Jasmine for being here. Uh, she was great. And I want to remind all the listeners that all the resources mentioned on today's podcast, they're going to be found in the show notes at www.schoolsoup.org podcast. And a final reminder, follow us on social media at McSchoolSoup on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We've got some awesome stuff. <laughs>